Book Eleven, Chapter One of A Class Book of Old Testament History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Olivia. A Class Book of Old Testament History by George Frederick MacLear. Book Eleven From the Captivity to the Close of the Canon. Chapter One Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel Chapters One through Three. Circa six o six through five seventy b c nothing it has been remarked could present a more striking contrast to their native country than the region into which the hebrews were now transplanted instead of their irregular and picturesque mountain city crowning its unequal heights and looking down into the deep and precipitous ravines through one of which a scanty stream wound along they entered the vast square and level city of babylon occupying both sides of the broad euphrates while all around spread immense plains which were intersected by long straight canals bordered by rows of willows how unlike their national temple a small but highly finished and richly adorned fabric standing in the midst of its courts on the brow of a lofty precipice the colossal temple of the chaldean bell rising from the plain with its eight stupendous stories or towers one above the other to the perpendicular height of a furlong the palace of the babylonian king was more than twice the size of their whole city it covered eight miles with its hanging gardens built on arched terraces each rising above the other and rich in all the luxuriance of artificial cultivation how different from the sunny cliffs of their own land where the olive and the vine grew spontaneously and the cool shady and secluded valleys where they could always find shelter from the heat of the burning noon no wonder then that in the pathetic words of their own hymn by the waters of babylon they sat down and wept when they remembered thee o zion psalm eighty seven verse one thus far removed from their native land amidst a strange people and strange rites and exposed to all the influences of contact with their conquerors we might in the usual order of things have expected that the jews would have ceased to remain a nation at all but with them it was not to be thus the ten tribes indeed are never heard of more but the remnant of judah and benjamin in babylonia so far from blending its national life with that of its conquerors remained a separate people and preserved its national institutions we shall very much misunderstand their condition if we suppose that the jews became bondsmen or serfs they were colonists rather than captives they received grants of land agricultural or pastoral out of the conquered territories at the disposal of nebuchadnezzar and so valuable were their services considered that not a few rose to high eminence daniel chapter two verse forty eight and held confidential positions next to the person of the sovereign while moreover they increased in numbers and wealth they retained an internal jurisdiction over their own members they kept up among themselves distinction of rank they preserved their genealogies nehemiah seven verses five six and sixty four and although from the absence of any common centre of worship they could only observe the mosaic law in part still they retained the right of circumcision the distinction of meats and other points compare daniel chapter one verse eight with esther chapter three verse eight nor did the providence which had hitherto watched over them fail them in the land of exile the voice of prophecy so far from being hushed now swelled into louder strains while jeremiah warned and exhorted them at the outset of this sad period in their history ezekiel did not fail for thirty years to carry on the same work in the land of exile itself while another and one of the most illustrious of their number rose to the very highest position and proved the moses of captivity and the fourth of the greater prophets in the fourth year of jehoiakim b c six o six as we have already seen nebuchadnezzar had ordered the chief of the eunuchs to remove to babylon certain select youths of royal descent who from their talents seemed likely to be of service to his court 
One of these was Daniel, apparently of royal blood, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3, and gifted with no common talents, Daniel 1, verse 4. With three other companions of the tribe of Judah, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he was removed to the Babylonian court, and there trained for the king's service in the learning of the language of the Chaldeans, Daniel 1, verse 4. Moreover, in accordance with a common custom, his name was changed, and he and his three companions were now known as Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. During the three years of their training, they were not forgetful of the law and religion of their fathers, and with unusual firmness of character, declined to partake of the daily allowance of meat and wine, supplied them from the royal table, either probably because it was ceremonially unclean, or had been offered in sacrifice to the Assyrian gods. Preferring to live on the simplest fare, they yet proved as comely and well-favored as though they had been fed on the rarest dainties, and when brought before Nebuchadnezzar, were pronounced to excel, in wisdom and knowledge, the wisest men in his empire, and were rewarded with high positions about his court. Daniel 1, verse 5. While they were thus employed, a remarkable circumstance took place. Nebuchadnezzar dreamt a dream which exceedingly troubled his spirit. Summoning the magi and astrologers, he demanded that it should be instantly interpreted. They promised the interpretation, if they might be told the dream. But though this had escaped the monarch's memory, he reiterated his command, and when told that to obey it was impossible, issued an edict commanding the instant destruction of all the wise men throughout his realms. This despotic order was made known to Daniel by Arioch, the captain of the executioners, who was charged to see it carried out. The Jewish exile instantly sought an audience with the monarch, and having succeeded in gaining time for a fuller consideration, summoned his three friends, who, with fervent prayer to him, from whom no secrets are hid, besought a revelation of the dream. Their prayers were heard, and at a second audience, Daniel disclosed the vision of the night. The monarch had beheld a great image, the form of which was terrible. The head was of fine gold, the breast and the arms of silver, the belly and sides of brass, the legs of iron, the feet partly iron and partly clay. The excellent brightness of this image the monarch had watched till he suddenly saw a stone, cut out of a mountain without hands, smite the feet of the image till it broke in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, while the stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Such was the vision which Daniel then proceeded to interpret. The king himself was this head of gold. To him the God of heaven had given a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. After him should arise another kingdom inferior to his. After that a third kingdom of brass, which should bear rule over all the earth, to which would succeed a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, breaking in pieces and subduing all things. That kingdom, with its feet and toes, part of iron and part of clay, would be partly strong and partly brittle, and its subjects would mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they would not cleave one to the other, even as iron is not mixed with clay, and would make room for another kingdom, which God himself would set up, to break in pieces and consume all the previous kingdoms, and itself stand forever. Daniel chapter 2 verses 36 through 45. The great Babylonian monarch was profoundly affected by this proof of superhuman knowledge. He fell down on his face and worshipped Daniel, commanded that an oblation and sweet odors should be offered unto him bestowed on him costly presents, and made him viceroy over the whole province of Babylon, and supreme over all the wise men of his empire. In the hour of his prosperity, Daniel did not forget his three companions. By his intercession, similar honors were bestowed upon them, while he himself retained the preeminence in the gate of the king. Daniel 2, verses 46-49 Though on this memorable occasion the new viceroy had been preeminently faithful to the god of his fathers, 
and by his ascription of all his wisdom to a higher power had made the great monarch he served acknowledge that there was a god of gods and lord of lords the lesson does not seem to have made a very lasting impression on nebuchadnezzar's mind in the vast empire he had won by his arms there were many different nations with different gods and different modes of worship over all he was supreme and with the true feeling of an oriental despot it seemed to him only right that they should all acknowledge his chief deity this was the great bell or bel marodach the supreme chief of gods the king of the heavens and the earth the jupiter of the babylonian pantheon it was possibly an image of this god sixty cubits high and six broad and overlaid with golden plates which he now proceeded to set up on the plain of dura with the command that at the sound of instruments of music all his subjects from the highest to the lowest should fall down and worship it on penalty of being flung into a burning fiery furnace daniel three verses five and six in accordance with this edict all the officers of the court of babylon and the governors of the different provinces who had been summoned to assist at the ceremony flocked to the plain of dura and with one consent as soon as the music sounded prostrated themselves before the great dumb image which their lord had set up but daniel's three friends shadrach meshach and abednego in this hour of trial remained faithful to the religion of their fathers neither falling down nor worshipping with the rest this act of disobedience to their master was quickly perceived by many of the native chaldeans who were already filled with jealousy at the elevation of the exiles and they were not slow in reporting it to nebuchadnezzar on hearing it that monarch's wrath knew no bounds he summoned them before him he reiterated the command he had already issued he warned them in spite of their high position they should certainly suffer the penalty of their disobedience but his words were wasted these three mighty ones in the noble army of martyrs replied that if they were not careful to answer him in this matter their god could if such was his will deliver them from the fiery furnace and even if he did not they would not serve the monarch's god or bow down before the image he had set up daniel three verses sixteen through eighteen this outspoken refusal filled nebuchadnezzar with still greater fury the form of his visage was changed he bade the furnace be heated seven times more than it was wont to be heated and ordered the mightiest captains in his army to bind the three and fling them into the fire his words were obeyed but at the cost of the lives of his captains who fell victims to their zeal being caught by the raging flames moreover when he looked to see the three martyrs speedily reduced to ashes behold they were observed loose walking unscathed in the midst of the fire accompanied by a celestial being in whom the monarch discerned none other than a son of god thereupon he drew near to the mouth of the furnace and bade his intended victims come forth and they came forth and on their bodies as all attested the fire was seen to have had no power neither was a hair of their head singed neither had the smell of fire passed over them filled with admiration for their heroic faith the monarch issued a decree that all men far and wide throughout his empire should revere the god of these hebrews and that every people nation or language that spake a word against their god should be cut in pieces and their houses made a dunghill daniel three verse twenty nine end of book eleven chapter one recording by olivia